Most of the time when we use the word hope, we're talking about a desire or a wish that may or may not come true. When the writers of Scripture use the word hope, they have a different meaning in mind. Today on Truth For Life, Alistair Begg points us to the sure and certain hope we have as followers of Christ. He's titled this message, The Eyes of Your Heart. We're going to read now from the New Testament in Ephesians and in chapter 1. And we've reached the 15th verse in our study here through the first chapter. 14 verses, uh, the first 14 verses, one really long chapter in Greek with no punctuation. And then beginning in verse 15, uh, a duplicate and uh, another long sentence that uh, the English translators have punctuated for us to try and help us as we read through it. Ephesians 1, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Father, help us. We desperately need your help to speak and to listen, to understand, to believe, and to live in the truth of your Word. And so we look from ourselves to you, and to this end, in Christ's name, amen. You know, it's a great privilege to teach the Bible and to seek to bring the text to bear upon, first of all, one's own life, and then together— and to realize that um, uh, God chooses to do with His Word uh, what God chooses to do. And I frequently remind myself that my task is to sow the Word of God. I'm not uh, responsible for making it grow, which is a great relief, but I do want to sow it in such a way that uh, it becomes possible as a result of understanding to at least track with what is being said. And I said to the folks at our team meeting last Monday, you know, I I feel almost at the point uh, just now to have a a service or a series of services that I I would call time to get off the fence, time to get off the fence. In the past, uh, if you track through all the sermons preached at Parkside, you will see that there have been occasions where The sermon title has been like a a call to the unconverted believer, uh, to the person who has actually come to a sufficient understanding of what's being said 
and yet has never actually taken a stand on the truth of the gospel itself. And I have no way of knowing this, uh, but I do have a sense that there are a number who are in that very position. And so you can know that I'm praying for you, and others are praying for you, and praying expressly that you will get off the fence and that you'll get off on the right side. And as we study this morning uh, in this passage here in Ephesians 1, we're going to end with a hymn of testimony, and it may prove to be your testimony. I trust it is. Uh, But we'll end up singing words like, Once I was blind, yet believed I saw everything, proud in my ways, but a fool in my part, lost and alone in the company of multitudes, life in my body, yet death in my heart. Those words by Townend are really an echo of the words from Newton in Amazing Grace, where in the famous couplet he said, I once was lost, but now I'm found, but was blind, but now I see. There's a very clear distinction between blindness and sight. I once couldn't see, and now I can see. It's not like I kind of can see, or I'm kind of blind. But no, I once was blind. I was blind, and I thought I understood everything. I was really quite foolish. And uh, God opened my eyes. That, of course, is the testimony of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, when he met Jesus— and it's Paul who's writing Ephesians— when he met Jesus, you remember that he was struck blind. And when Ananias went to minister to him, uh, Luke tells us that in that encounter, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Scales fell from his eyes. It's a picture. And in actual fact, that physical reaction was emblematic of the spiritual transformation that he experienced when he suddenly realized, wow, so Jesus is alive. So Jesus is real. And in that encounter with his friends on that road uh, going to do despite to Jesus, uh, he asks the question, who are you, Lord? And discovers, of course, that he is. Now, that metaphor runs through Paul's writings. It's here this morning in this section. He's going to be praying that the eyes of the readers would be enlightened, that their eyes would be illuminated, and so on. And his great concern for those uh, to whom he preached and in turn to whom he wrote was that this transformation might take place. He was concerned for his own people, the Jews— because he knew that they had so much material. They had all that God had provided for them uh, right from the very beginning. They had the law of Moses, and they read it, not realizing that that law would lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his great concern was that the veil that was over their eyes might be removed. And in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, concerning that process, there is a veil over their hearts— and only through Christ is it taken away. When it says their hearts, it means the very center of their existence, the core, the the headquarters of, of who and what they are, their minds, their emotions, their wills. There's a veil over that whole thing, he says. And only in Christ is it going to be taken away. So, just as when a baby is born, it can see a wee bit, it can't get everything— So when you're born again as a new creation in Jesus, you can see quite a bit, but you don't get everything. 
And so Paul is praying here that those who have come to faith in Jesus may, verse 18, have the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they might know these things. For 14 verses, he has been uh, providing what we've referred to as this great symphony of salvation, a great hymn of praise. He's been assuring his readers of all that is theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verse 15, he moves from praise to prayer, and he's praying particularly that they might really see what they have. Now, Paul, you know, is always moving from to become what you are and to see what is yours. He's gone through this amazing list of the provision of God for them. And he says, now, do you really see this? If you really understood this, then it would revolutionize your life. So he says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your hearts may be opened. That's why we sang earlier on, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. There used to be a preacher in England years ago called S.D. Gordon, and he used to ask the question of his congregation, are you listening with all the ears of your heart? Are you listening with all the ears of your heart? Well, of course, your heart doesn't have ears, and your heart doesn't have eyes. These are metaphors. These are pictures. We understand the difference between information simply going through your ears and engaging your brain at a certain level and an encounter with the Bible that starts to be perhaps unsettling, uh, demanding, transformative. And you realize something is happening here that doesn't happen in any other context. Something is happening with this book about which we were singing again, about the written Word of God. The written Word of God introducing us to the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul comes to this by way of encouragement. He's masterful at this. He's not being a, a Machiavellian in any way. He's entirely sincere. For this reason, he says, verse 15, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He says, I have been reminded of the fact that your faith is a reality and your love is sincere. Uh, in other words, the, the, the congregations here uh, that were the recipients of what I take it was a circular letter have been marked by such a factor that they are believing God's promises and they are loving God's people. Believing God's promises and loving God's people. You will notice that it is not just faith, but it is faith in the Lord Jesus. There's all kinds of things said about faith uh, every day of the week, actually, if you've got your ears open. Uh, you go to the hairdresser, and someone will say, well, do you have enough faith to allow me to do this to you? Or whatever it might be. And often the thought is that faith itself is like an entity, so you can have faith in faith. Well, as long as I have faith. Well, what does that mean? And Paul is not saying, I'm so excited that you are men and women of faith, but it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the ground of faith is what makes it significant. As I flew across the lake, uh, two lakes uh, in the last two days, uh, and looked down, I said, you know, this is not as frozen as it usually is. I'm not sure you would want to go ice skating on this lake. Oh, but says somebody, what does it matter? As long as you've got faith. I mean, if you have enough faith, you'll be able to skate on it, won't you? It doesn't matter how deep it is, just the amount of faith that you have. No, what a silly idea. 
That's not going to be called ice skating. That's going to be called water skiing, because you are not going to be sustained by the amount of ice that is there. It is not the faith that makes the ground significant. It is the ground that gives the basis for faith, faith in the Lord Jesus. Let me pause and ask you, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? We were just singing of it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what Paul is referencing here. Not some vague notion of an interest in spiritual things or an awareness of the historicity of the Bible, all of which will be of compelling interest to some. But is this me? You see, the Bible, when it speaks of faith, speaks of it as, first of all, a decisive act, and then as a sustained attitude. A decisive act, and then a sustained attitude. Abandoning, first of all, all trust and confidence in myself, and placing all of my trust and confidence in another, namely, in the Lord Jesus Christ. My faith has found a resting place, not in device, not in creed, but I trust the ever-living one, and his wounds for me must plead. It's very straightforward, isn't it? Now, that's what Paul is talking about here. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, towards all the saints— great company of people, the people that they knew and others that they didn't know, the people for whom we're able to pray knowledgeably, and those that we only know them from a distance and may not even have any idea of their circumstances at all. Faith and love. Paul routinely mentions this. You find it in his letters all the time. Well, it's a challenge, isn't it? I wonder what Parkside is known for. Well, it's known for different things, I'm sure. Some of them we probably wouldn't be too pleased with. But nevertheless, it would be fine to be known for this, wouldn't it? Uh, that, that, that people could speak of our faith in the Lord Jesus and our genuine love for all the saints. Tonight, when we come together and have communion and welcome new members, we'll probably sing together the lines, With our lips, let us sing one confession. What's the one confession? That Jesus Christ is Savior, Lord, and King with our hearts—that's the core of who we are—with our hearts, hold to one truth alone. For He has erased our transgressions, has named us, and called us His own, His very own. Then the refrain, we're the people of God, joined by His name, and set free, and so on. It's fantastic. Now, if you doubt it, just look along your row. <laughs> There's all, those are all the saints. I get to see you. You get to see me. I get to see. Look along the row. The saints. Red and yellow, black and white. Bright, not so bright. Funny, rather dull. A phenomenal mixture of people. Allowing us to fiddle with the Gaither song, as I always like to do. Instead of singing, I'm so glad that you're part of the family of God. Being far more honest than singing, I'm surprised that you're part of the family <laughs> of God. Because it is quite surprising, isn't it? First of all, you're surprised that you're part of the family of God. Isn't that right? If you're not surprised that you're part of the family of God, come and see me afterwards, because I want to convince you of that fact. 
That's what Paul has been doing in the first 14 verses. You should be amazed that the love of God for you goes back into eternity, that before he created the world, he set his love upon you, that he drew you to himself, he included you in his company. And now together, the word on the street, he says, when I think about the church in Ephesus, in all of its complexities, is that you're known for your faith and your love towards all the saints. And on account of this, he says, verse 16, I am unceasingly thankful. I do not cease to give thanks for you, and I am purposefully prayerful, remembering you in my prayers. And what is he doing when he prays? Well, to what end does he pray? Well, again, he wants them to understand and enter into the benefits they have already received. He doesn't want them to be like people who go on a cruise, uh, you know, up the fjords of Norway, uh, sitting uh, out on a, on a deck on a blustery, windy, cloudy afternoon, sitting on a deck chair, eating uh, saltine crackers and drinking water encountered by somebody who says, why are you doing this? Are you, are you on a diet? No, says the person. This is all I can afford. But, says the person, don't you realize that all the food came with your ticket? It's all included in the deal that you've got. You shouldn't be sitting out here eating saltine crackers and drinking water. You should be in here enjoying the benefits of the package which is yours, which would make the metaphor even better if it was paid for by somebody else, which would be appealing to a Scotsman and, and uh, a few others too. It's, it's completely paid for. And you, you, I want you to enter into all the benefits of it. But why would you waste your time? And, and so he says to the Ephesians, you need to know this. You need to know this because it will transform you both inside and outside. So he says, this is my prayer, that the eyes of your hearts will be illuminated so that you might know, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That ought to take you back to verse 8, which we saw some weeks ago. And having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know you see this? Knowledge, verse 17. Know, verse 18. In other words, the mind matters. Your mind matters. Don't let anybody tell you that Christianity is a trip into a sort of mindless existence, that there are a number of mindless Christians out there is a separate issue. But the call of the Bible is a call to think, to think. So, these are the facts, he says. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. This is where Jesus is now. This is what Jesus has provided. Now he says, I want you to know this. I want you to come to a knowledge of this, that it is the work of God the Father Almighty by the Spirit of God to bring home the benefits that he has made available to us through the Son of God so that the people of God might become all that he desires for them to be. In other words, you see that it is a Trinitarian thing that runs all the way through. What God the Father is engaged in, the Son is procuring, the Holy Spirit is applying. This is not Mormonism. This is not Jehovah's Witnesses. This is not Unitarianism. This is biblical Christianity, Trinitarian, and it runs at the very heart of Paul's concern. Now, there can be little doubt 
that the initial readers of this letter, like ourselves, had many practical pressing needs. They were a minority in a big kind of wicked city. Uh, They were being called to live a holy life and keep their head in the game, surrounded by erotic paraphernalia. What are they going to do with their families? How are they going to bring up their children? What about their employment? The culture's going south. Oh, dear, oh, dear, everything's terrible. Now, each area of those kind of concerns is entirely understandable and may in itself be an occasion for prayer. Paul to the Philippians says we should pray about everything. Uh, Don't forget to pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. The Living Bible paraphrase of Philippians 4, 4 to 6. Yes, but fascinatingly here, he's not praying for their health. He's not praying for their employment. He's not actually addressing any of those practical issues. He's praying that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope, first of all, to which you have been called. You say, well, that's not very practical. It's intensely practical. And one of the reasons for the predicament of conservative evangelicalism, if I may say to you kindly, is a failure at this very level. Everywhere you go to preach and teach, the people are always saying, why haven't you told me what to do? Why haven't you given me something practical? Why are we not ticking the boxes, as it were, of all of my felt needs? And part of the answer to that is in the prayer of Paul. You're listening to Alistair Begg and a message from our study in Ephesians called Grace and Peace. Well, Alistair touched on something today that is central to our mission here at Truth For Life. We don't offer quick fixes for felt needs. Instead, we are committed to simply teaching God's Word, exactly as it's given to us in Scripture. That's because we believe God works through His Word to change lives for eternity. When you partner with Truth For Life financially, this is the mission that you're helping to support. And to show our thanks for your financial gift today, we'd like to send you a new devotional book written by pastor and author Sinclair Ferguson. It's titled To Seek and to Save. This collection of brief daily readings offers an insightful look at the heart of our Savior and what it means for us to follow Him as His disciples. Today is the last day for you to request a copy of this book, so be sure to get in touch with us soon. Request to seek and to save when you give online at truthforlife.org slash donate or when you call 888-588-7884. Now, before we close, Alistair has an exciting opportunity that he wants to share with us. If you've never traveled north to take in the breathtaking view of Alaska, then join me for a memorable adventure later this summer. I'll be cruising through the scenic Alaskan coastline, taking in the natural beauty of God's remarkable creation during a seven-day cruise. The tour will be a time to reflect on God's goodness, study His Word together, and join in songs of praise led by Laura Story and Michael O'Brien. We may even see a grizzly bear catch salmon or a humpback whale leap from the water. So why don't you mark your calendar for late August? And come along, join me on an unforgettable journey. Find out more about this exciting opportunity and reserve your spot when you go online to deeperfaithcruise.com or call 855-565-5519. 
I'm Bob Lapine for Alistair Begg and all of us at Truth For Life. We hope you have a great weekend. Hope you're able to relax and to rest and to gather with your local church family. If you're looking for a way to supplement the teaching you receive in your local church this weekend, don't forget, Alistair's teaching at Parkside Church is streamed live most weekends. To see if Alistair is teaching this weekend, check the schedule at truthforlife.org slash live. Then join us Monday as we continue exploring the book of Ephesians in our series called Grace and Peace. Today's program was furnished by Truth For Life. Where the learning is for living.